Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. I know that many of you are kind of chomping at the bit for our Revelation series that's going to be starting in two weeks, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but before we get to that, we're actually going to do a couple sermon series where at each of our campuses at South Church and Yarmouth, Wesleyan, and Coastal, we have an opportunity to kind of drill down on some things that each of our campuses are sensing and feeling. And so, um, and so I'm looking forward to sharing over the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I have sensed to share something with us as a church for quite a long time now. And I've been kind of praying into it a little bit more. And God kind of confirmed it for me this week. Um, there was a lot of things that happened um, over the last number of weeks where I was sensing some, some things that God wanted to say and wanted to speak into. Um, and I wanted to speak into a particular area. And, and so um, I thought, you know, we just got done doing a sermon series on why the Bible, which was a bit more like heady in some ways, and then we're just about to jump into Revelation. So I thought, like, probably doing another really, really heady sermon series is probably not the way to go. And I thought, you know what? I feel like we need to, sp I need to speak on something that's a little bit more down to earth, that's a little bit more connecting to your day-to-day -day lives, that's a little bit more sticky, a little bit more earthy. Um, and so uh, that's kind of what I was sensing as I was, like, wrestling with what to preach on. And then um, I love just, like, I love grabbing a coffee and going for a drive around Cape Island. Anyone else like that? Just like getting a coffee and just doing the double loop, I call it. Like, I love doing that. If you ever want to do a double loop with me, just let me know. Shoot me a text. We'll go to Tim's or McDonald's, whatever you prefer. Um, and we'll just do a double loop and have a yarn. Uh, it's like literally some of my favorite ministry experiences happen in a car while I'm driving, okay? And so um, I just love doing that. I also really love doing it with Jesus. Like, I'll just grab a cup of coffee and people might think I'm crazy, or I'm talking on the phone, or I'm singing along to the worship song, which I probably am. But I'll just go out for a coffee sometimes, and I'll just drive around the double loop, and I'll talk to the Lord. And so on Wednesday morning, that's what I did, because I needed to like get a sense of what God wanted me to say for these next two Sundays. And so I grabbed a coffee, and I started driving around the double loop, and I was just starting to talk out loud to the Lord, and just thinking and processing with Him. And I just really had this sense that God wanted me to speak about marriage. And I know some of you in this room, you already feel like, okay, well, the sermon's not for me. Well, just, just hold it for a sec. Because I think there's God, it's God's word. And so he speaks through his word. And so there might be something that you get out of this. Maybe you're single and you're not yet in a relationship yet. I, th I still think God wants to speak some things. Um, maybe you've gone through it. I still think God wants to heal and touch. So don't just like, because I'm hitting on this topic, please don't just like, oh, it's not for me. It's God's word and has, has ability to speak and be active. And you're here tonight and you're a youth, or you're someone that one day wants to be in marriage, or you're not sure yet if you want to be in marriage. I just encourage you, just have a listen these next two weeks, because it's not just going to be on this, although I think some principles apply to, to all of life. Um, and so I really felt like the Lord wanted me to, to speak on that. And then I had situations come up, like, like it was crazy how much God confirmed, Jay, you're supposed to speak on this. And so I'm looking forward to diving in this the next couple weeks um, as, we kinda, as we dive in. And so, how many of us struggle with, and just thinking about, not, not thinking about marriage for a sec, but just relationships in general. How many of us struggle with all kinds of tension in relationships? You guys get really quiet. <laughs> you can feel the tension. 
Attention's in the room. Yeah, we all have tension in relationships. It's okay to say that, whether it be with our spouse, our girlfriend, or boyfriend, our kids. How many of y'all know we have tension with our kids? How many of y'all know our kids sometimes have tension with us, okay? Our friends, our coworkers, we all struggle deeply with tension in relationships. It's just part of life. And it's not all bad, but it's definitely a reality that we struggle with. And I think, though, the tension we struggle with the most is the one that hit closest to home, which is in our home. You know, I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered why we have such struggles in our marriage? In your marriages, have you ever wondered, like, why is this so hard sometimes? Why does it feel like we just keep bumping up to things? And I think there's lots of different reasons why some of the reasons we have struggles. Some of it's our family of origin and the way we grew up and how the values in which we grew up with like goes against the values of which we bring into the marriage. And so sometimes it's just those kinds of tensions. You know, and it can be funny little things that we, we do, habits we pick up from our family that we always did, whether it be what time you have supper or, you know, what time you go to bed or whatever. There's sometimes that can happen. Sometimes it can be like, it can be like lack of instruction, why we have tension in marriage. Maybe you're here and you're in a marriage right now or in a relationship right now, and your parents didn't tell you a whole lot about how to do relationships. Amen? Okay. And part of the reason might be is they weren't told, and, so, and they weren't told, and they weren't told. And so maybe you haven't gotten a lot of instructions with how to do relationships, and so you fumbled your way through relationships because you haven't been instructed with how to do relationships, how to navigate conflict, how to have conversations about money, and all the things that have come up with relationships. Maybe it's because you've had a lack of instruction, a lack of someone walking you through some of the nuances of relationship. Or some of you in this room looking back like, man, I wish I had some, I wish my self could counsel myself at 20 years old. You ever hear say that or think about that? Amen. We heard a lot of amens to that one. Mm. Yeah. And so I think in large part, sometimes it's because we haven't had that instruction. And I think the big reason why we have so much tension in our marriages is really because of what the scripture teaches about sin. And the Bible teaches us that sin actually entered the world through one man's sin. And that sin actually spread into every single human heart. And so every single human heart has this bent towards selfishness. We all have this natural now inclination towards ourself. And if you put two people in a home that have a natural inclination towards a self, what is it going to create? Tension, okay? Lots of tension because you have this clashing going on through these desires that James talks about in James chapter 4. You have these clashing of desires. And so at the heart, without Christ, you have this sin, this bent towards selfishness in a marriage, in a relationship, and it creates all kinds of tension. And so in large part in our culture today, people do marriage and relationships in what is right in their own eyes. Ah, it seems right we should do our relationship this way. It seems right we should do our relationship this way. I think this is what I'm supposed to do, or I feel, like, I feel like this is how I'm supposed to do this relationship. And so we base a lot of our decisions and wisdom and how we navigate our relationships. We base it on what we think is right in our own eyes for lots of different reasons, like I just mentioned. And the problem with that is as a result of culture doing relationships in a way that is right in their own eyes, it's create all kinds of complex relational dynamics. Like, how many of you know that we live in a very broken world? 
We, how many of you know we have a lot of very broken families? We have a lot of very broken parents and a lot of very broken kids. Well, that's as a result of us doing relationships in a way that is right in our own eyes. Do you agree? Instead of doing things God's way, we've made the choice to do what is right in our own eyes. And I'm not saying that to shame or guilt, but it's just a reality and truth. I, uh, I was telling you about how God just kept confirming I was supposed to speak on this topic over and over again. Anyways, this weekend, my old professor, Mike McNeil, some of you guys remember him, he spoke here. Um, he has this really cutting edge blog. I'll say it cutting edge because it's, uh, it's pretty blunt. If you're into like blunt stuff, he's pretty blunt. He doesn't sugarcoat anything and he's very, very edgy. But he had this blog he just wrote and posted about marriage. And I read through it and I'm like, God, like you are clearly speaking to me about this topic. And some of the quotes from it were just amazing. And one of the quotes from his blog was this. Once marriage is disconnected from God and lifelong union producing children, it becomes a DIY project. Do it yourself project. You can make it whatever you want. This is how a lot of people see it now. Hear that do it right in your own eyes kind of deal. He goes on to talk about the family unit and how the devastation in society that we have as a result of the dismantling of the cornerstone of civilization, the family. You see, it is Satan's tactic to break down the family unit so he can absolutely wreak havoc in everyone's life. He went on to say that in the USA for the first time in history, more babies are born out of wedlock than it's a protective covering of marriage in the family unit. Unit. And the truth is that growing up in a two-parent household is the biggest single predictor that someone will grow into a functioning, flourishing adult. And so because of sin and us doing what's right in our own eyes, you and I have to experience all these complex relational dynamics. And so if you're here tonight at church, you're here because like you're trying to figure out this Jesus thing, this God thing. What does it look like for me to follow Jesus with all my mess, with all my bad decisions, with all the complexity I have in my life that even aren't my fault? You're trying to figure out, okay, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What is your perspective on my situation? And you probably have a lot of questions based on the relationships and things you're experiencing right now. Like, like maybe a question you have for God is, and, and you want answers for and wisdom for is like, how do I navigate living in a mixed family? because that's not a reality for so many people. Or what does God think about my past relationships or marriages? Or what is God's perspective on my current marriage and relationship? And I mean, the list goes on. The bottom line is our situations in this culture in 2024 are so incredibly complex and difficult and heart-wrenching and challenging and we come to God and come to church because we're like, God, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I need wisdom and I need direction. And, and so we struggle with that. And so we have the question, like, God, what do you think about all this? Because I don't know what to think. And I think there's a couple different things. There's lots of different things that God thinks and feels. I think as I was just thinking about God's perspective on all of it, I think there's a couple different things that, God feels and thinks. I think God grieves. I think he, his heart's broken. And I think 
His heart's broken because there's been decisions made that have hurt you relationally. Would that be fair? I believe we're probably in a room full of people where people have made decisions and it has crushed us, it has broken us, it has hurt us at the deepest, deepest level. And you know, did you know that your Heavenly Father grieves about that reality? Do you realize that every time your heart was broken, it broke your Heavenly Father's heart? Do you know that? And so I think God looks at our relational situation and I think he grieves. His heart's broken. He grieves for the people, for you, because people have hurt you. He also grieves because we're all born with sin. How many know and how, how can we acknowledge here in this room tonight? We've been guilty of hurting other people. Amen? And so God grieves that we've been hurt, but he also grieves that we've hurt people. He grieves and his heart's broken at the broken state of families in 2024. He grieves about all the heartache and pain that people have experienced because of relationships. Matter of fact, the Bible describes Jesus as a man of sorrows. He wasn't just sad because of his death and what he was going to have to endure. His sorrow was carrying the grief of sin. His sorrow was knowing fully the devastation that would be caused to you and from you, and it broke his heart to see that that's what's happened to humanity. And take it a step closer to home that that's what's happened to you. Why does God care? Why does he grieve? Why is he brokenhearted? Why? Because he loves you. He cares about you so unbelievably much. He cares about your hurts. He cares about your hang-ups. He cares about your struggles. He cares about your tension. He cares about your wounds. Your Heavenly Father cares for you more than you can imagine. And so when you hear this idea of God being grieved, you probably have a couple different emotions similar to when people stepped on the scene with Jesus. All these people were messed up, dysfunctional people. They had problems. They had sin, and Jesus knew all of it. And so when people approached Jesus, they felt these whole hosts of emotions. They felt this incredible compassion and love despite their sin. They felt seen in their brokenness, but they also felt this sense of shame and guilt. Kind of like Peter when, when, when he jumps back in the boat and, and sees all the fish and the miracle that Jesus does, Peter throws himself at the feet of Jesus and says, I'm a sinner. And so to you tonight, as you pray to God in this very room this evening, and as you bring before him your relational situation, you probably feel a couple different emotions. You probably feel a sense from your heavenly father that he sees all of it. He sees all your pain. He sees all the things you've been through relationally and he cares. But you also might feel a sense of shame and guilt. You might feel shame and guilt because you realize that you've made some decisions that you haven't been on the receiving end, but you've been the one that hurts other people. And so we bring to God our, our mixed bag of emotions tonight in our relationships. And the beautiful part is, is that God doesn't just grieve. He's not merely disappointed when we not listen to God. 
He's not just merely heartbroken. The amazing thing about our Heavenly Father is he actually has the power to, to heal us, right? That's the beautiful, optimistic good news is that he is the great physician and he doesn't just heal people physically. He has the power to spiritually heal people that are in the most utter broken positions and put them back together. You know, there's some of you in this room, most of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, we've been dinged up from relationships. We've been cut. And some of us are like so wounded from relationships, we're bleeding all over the place. You know, and, and the power that to, for God to heal us isn't just for the victims. How many of you know that the person who wrongs someone else also needs healing? How many of you know that the person that's actually the offender is broken and sick with sin and needs the healing power of Jesus? That's why I love what Jesus said. Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've not come to call those who think they're righteous, but sinners. Actively people that are sinning against God, that are hurting God and hurting other people. Jesus said himself, I've come for them. I've come for you. I've come for you. Because I see your brokenness in the way you're hurting other people, not merely as offense. You are sick. You are in need of healing and restoration, and I love you, and Jesus himself, the great physician, has the power to make you well, to make you so you stop doing what you're doing, so you stop bringing hurt, and instead you bring healing in your relationships. And he does that because he loves you. And not only does God have this ability to heal us, and some of us, like, we get that healing, but he has this ability to hold us together. You know, after you, if you've ever had an accident before and you need stitches, um, I got my finger busted open playing hockey about two months ago, and I went to the doctor, and he had to stitch it back together, and it, and it kind of held it together to heal. And the good news is with some of the wounds that God wants to heal in your life, he has the ability not only to, to heal it in the moment, but he actually has the ability to hold it together. There's an amazing scripture in Colossians that says, Jesus holds the entire universe together. The universe is pretty big, right? Imagine all the stars and the solar systems and everything about our universe. The scripture teaches us in Colossians chapter one that Jesus holds all of it together. Amazing. So it doesn't all just go to chaos. Jesus holds the entire universe together. And if Jesus holds the entire universe together, do you think he can hold you together? Think he can hold your life together? You think he can hold your marriage together? I'll say it again. If Jesus can hold the entire universe together, do you think he can hold your marriage together? And the truth is, he can. Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees about marriage, and this was his response to them. He said, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever, therefore, God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus has brought your marriage together. God, what God has brought together, the scripture says, and he has the power to hold it together. But, but we have a part to play, okay? We aren't just passive and let Jesus do the heavy lifting. And so the question I want to raise tonight is, how do we hold fast to your marriage? How do you hold fast to your marriage? And there's two things I want to say about that. The first thing is being faithful. Being faithful. You know, when I officiate a wedding, one of the things I say to people when they're making their marriage vows is that you're forsaking all others and faithfully keeping yourself to him or her alone as long as you both shall live. And they say, I do. Or some people like to say now, I will. And so it's a conscious choice from your heart to be faithful to your spouse. And so Jesus taught about ways that we can actually be faithful to our marriage covenant instead of opening ourselves to the slippery slope that leads towards unfaithfulness. This is what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. We're going to get a little bit edgy tonight. Is that okay? Okay. You guys are really convincing. <laughs> Just to give a heads up, uh, uh, we're going to hit on some sensitive information here in a sec, just to kind of just give you a heads up. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 29. So Jesus deals with the matter of the heart before it gets into action. Do you see it? He's saying, if you've looked at a woman or a man with lust in your heart, you've already committed the sin of adultery. He deals at the heart of the issue. And I love that he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't like beat around the bush. He just comes right out and says it. And I, I think all of us read a passage of scripture like this, and we all have like a little bit of a different reaction. And we live in a highly sexualized world. I was reading statistics when I used to do teaching on this, and it's like over 50% of people have engaged with pornography. It's an absolute pandemic of unfaithfulness. And I think God grieves at that. He grieves at it because of the destruction it brings into relationships. And maybe you read a passage like this, and you say to yourself, that's impossible. Like, looking at a woman or a man and not lusting in your heart, like, like, that's impossible. It's hopeless. I'm always going to end up doing this. There's nothing I can do to get free. Now, here's my pushback on that question. Would Jesus command you to do something you're unable to do? I'll say it again. Would Jesus command you to do something and not give you the resources to actually do what he said you to do? And so... The good news is, yes, by yourself with your own limited resources, you probably can't do what Matthew's talking about, what Jesus is talking about here in the scripture. You'll probably be a slave to sin for the rest of your life without Jesus. But the good news for us that are Christians is that Jesus came, amen? He took sin upon himself at the cross, amen? 
And did he not break the power of sin when he rose from the dead? I'll ask it again. Because I didn't get very many amens on that one. Did Jesus not break the power of sin when he rose from the dead? Can he not give us freedom to walk in liberty? Can he not give us the freedom to walk in freedom from lust? Amen. He can, and he will, and he wants to. Why? Because he wants you to be faithful, not just in your actions. He wants you to be faithful to your spouse in your heart. And he wants to give you everything you need to be faithful to your spouse in your heart. Not just outwardly, but inwardly. And the good news is this. Like, God created sex. The world didn't create it. Man didn't create it. God created it. And he created it, and it's good. It's a good thing that God created. Some of y'all maybe have never heard sex call, said from the pulpit. And that is a crying shame. You know why it's a crying shame? Is because we all see sex as something that is bad. Something that is sinful. As a matter of fact, it's one of the greatest gifts God's given us. And so you need to hear your pastors tell you that sex is from God and it's good. And you can amen that. Because it is. God created it to make us one, to make us one flesh, to unite us in our marriage covenant. Now, God also created some guardrails. If you read through the New Testament and the Old Testament, there's all kinds of guardrails because it's one of the greatest gifts, but it's also one of the things that can be used most destructively to us and through us. And so there's all kinds of guardrails that God gives. And in particular, God says that sex should happen in the constructs of a committed marriage covenant. Where you've committed before God in his presence to be committed to that person for life. And so God created us. And the way that we hold fast to our marriage is through is being faithful. And, and, and faithfulness isn't merely from a sexual side. Faithful has to do with loving and being faithful to what we committed to doing. When I do marriage, it's one of the other things I get people to say before they say I do is to love them, comfort them, honor and keep them in sickness and in health and forsaking all others as long as you both shall live. So it's not just merely about sex. It's also about your responsibility in the marriage. Being faithful to love that person and care for that person and encourage that person and be compassionate, not just being passive. Yeah, we're married. Like, it's actually active, being faithful. And we need to be faithful because there's constantly going to be things that try to come in between us in our relationships, in our marriages. Money and work and time and media that's why Jesus said, let man not separate. Let man not separate. And so there's forces fighting against our marriages to make us unfaithful and to make us unfruitful. That's the second thing I want to say about marriages. Y'all doing okay so far? Oh, you guys are really convincing tonight. I know, it's a bit edgy. It's, it had to be said. 
The second thing is that God wants us to be fruitful. And this is more of an outward thing. Faithfulness has to do with a matter of the heart. Being fruitful is what we do in our marriage. You know, the scripture says to be fruitful and multiply. That's what God said to Adam and Eve. And one of the great things that, the blessings that God's given us, I know sometimes I joke about, about children sometimes, but like, like deep down in our hearts, as much as sometimes parenting is really, really difficult, aren't our children a gift? Gracious sakes alive. Like, I love my stinking kids, okay? <laughs> I love them to pieces. I like, I get all these pictures on my phone, and I don't know how many times I send them to my wife, these cute, crazy, adorable pictures of my kids. Now I could probably send you some other pictures that would drive me crazy about the kids, and, but, but I love my kids. What a gift they are from God, amen? amen? And to think for a moment here that the marriage covenant, that through becoming one flesh, we get to produce something so awesome as that, right? Amen. Isn't that wonderful that God made it so that we get to like, like create children and be so blessed, even though they're stressful sometimes. Like, be so blessed by kids. It's amazing. And so God created marriage to be purposeful. You know, in the beginning, the Bible says that when God saw Adam, he saw that there was not a partner that was, that was you know, that could complement Adam. And so he made a help meet, the scripture says. Someone to complement, for them to complement one another. So that they could have purpose together. Not just in having children, but their whole lives were to be purposeful. And I think for a lot of people, I just had this sense that some of us in our marriages feel like we're spinning our tires. Your marriage is for your children, but it's so much more than just for your children. I'm going to say that one again, okay? Your marriage is for your children, but it's so much more than just for your children. And I think, like, what happens when your kids move out then, if it's just for your children? You see, God has purpose for you beyond just your children. That's the primary call. But there's things that God wants to do in and through your marriage that are purposeful, that are eternal, that are kingdom-oriented. God wants to use your natural gifts and graces and abilities in your marriage. How many of y'all know a lot of us married a different person? I married a different person. My wife will tell you she married a really different person. We are all different. Amen? God made us different. He made us different on purpose. We bring our unique diversity into our marriage, into our relationships, even if you're not married right now. God has diversity in relationships and brings that together, and there's incredible strength. Yes, it creates tension. If you're a details person and you're in a relationship with someone that's not, it's going to drive you crazy. But you're there to complement and support one another. I'm thankful that in relationships, there's people that are guardrails and keep you on the road. Amen? And so God made us with these differences. But sometimes it's really hard to navigate conflict. And we get stuck being productive in our marriage and contributing to, to church and to culture and to society and shining our lights as a married couple. Sometimes we get stuck. And a lot of times it's because of conflict. 
And one of the things that can hinder you from being fruitful is conflict in your marriage, in relationships. We have conflict about all kinds of things, money and work and time. How many of you guys have conflict when you drive together? <laughs> oh, man. I got to confess to you tonight. When my wife drives, I struggle. <laughs> and it's not, she's a wonderful driver. She's never gotten a speeding ticket, even though she might have, should have one time or two. But it's just something about it. I just get tense. Anyone else out there? Okay, I'm not alone. But like, there's times you have conflict. And I would say this. Not all conflict is bad. Like, if you never have conflict in your marriage, it's probably not healthy. But if you only have conflict in your marriage, that's probably not healthy. Right? But sometimes conflict can shut us down and our relationship stops working as a unit. And I don't know how you react when you get upset or you have a fight or you get in conflict. I know what I do and it's shut down. I just get passive aggressive. Anyone else like you get in a conflict with someone you're like, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. But you shut down. You put a wall up. You close off. You start working as a unit. Whatever the case may be, whatever your conflict style is, we can shut down and we stop functioning as a fruitful, purposeful couple. But the good news is, is that like, even when we get passive-aggressive, even when I get passive-aggressive, because I do, and I did this week, and I had to say sorry, <laughs> just being real, the Holy Spirit reminds me that it's not about me, and the Holy Spirit reminds me that he's in charge. We sang about Jesus, you reign above it all, right? Reign over my life, which means he has control of me, which means... I don't have the right to be passive or cold or shut off. When you let Jesus be Lord of your marriage, he's in control of both of you and wants to make you fruitful together as a team and as a unit. He has good things in his heart, not just for you, but for your marriage. He has plans for your marriage. He has stuff he wants to do in and through you. And I think some of us that are stuck in our marriage need to start dreaming with God about and praying and asking God, not only do you, how do you want to use me, how do you want to use our marriage to advance your kingdom, to bless a whole bunch of people, and to see Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova? Because I can almost guarantee you that God just doesn't want to use you individually. He wants to use your marriage to bring honor and glory to him. Amen? I invite the worship team to come. But maybe some of you are stuck tonight. I'm with the prayer team to come as well. I uh, was talking to my, my mom who lives in Canso, and uh, they are experiencing snowmageddon. There are snow plows that are getting stuck. Yep. They're stuck. When snow plows get stuck, you know it's really bad. 
My mom said it was the most snow she's ever seen in one snowfall in her life. She went from having no snow on the ground to it being up to like my brother's armpits. No joke, I got pictures. Stuck. Vehicles are stuck, snow plows are stuck, everything's just stuck. Are you stuck? Is your marriage stuck? You feel like you're feel like you're spinning your tires a little bit? I know I'm hitting really close to home tonight. That's the way God works. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He cares way too much to worry about our comfort sometimes. And he has this ability to go right to the heart of the matter because he cares. Are you stuck? Do you want God to, to move in your marriage? Maybe in your heart you've been struggling with this unfaithfulness business. And you know the Holy Spirit's convicting you. You know that you need a resolve in your heart I'm just not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to look at that screen. I'm not going to look at that person. I'm going to stop the texting. I'm going to just go resolve in my heart to the covenant I made to my spouse. I'm choosing to be faithful. God, would you give me the grace and the strength? Give me everything I need to be faithful. Or maybe for you, it's this fruitfulness business. It's this, it's this being on purpose in your marriage just feel like maybe you're stuck or spinning and you need someone to pray for you to saying, God, I know you have good things in, our, in your heart for us. We just don't want to just exist. We want to thrive. God, would you set our marriage on fire for you? Maybe you need to come up for prayer as a married couple. I know that's a bold step here tonight. So whatever, the God's, whatever God's doing in your heart tonight, just be open to how his Holy Spirit's speaking because I believe God is, wants to speak to you because he loves you. He wants to heal some of the wounds you have. He wants to touch your broken spirit. He wants to mend some of the things that are there. And he's not doing this to be pushy. He's not doing this to be shovey. He's doing this because he loves you and he alone has the power to heal. Would you stand? We really hope that this message is motivating you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.